Hello, and welcome to Social Design Insights, the show that brings you the leading voices of the social design movement from the fields of architecture, engineering, planning, art, and whatever else we can find that's out there trying to make the world a better place. I'm your host, Eric Kessel. We've got a great show for you today. We're welcoming Amanda Bellew of Arkaboo, who's joined us to wrap up our conversation on the narrative of design and activism. Amanda was formerly the editor of Building Design Magazine for many years and founded Arkaboo in 2014 as a new kind of architectural discussion space. In her words, a discussion space that needn't necessarily be about architecture so much as the culture buzzing around it. Arkaboo was premised on the idea that architecture could become a lens for talking about broader issues, and she has certainly done that. I thought it would be a wonderful way to wrap up our segment, as Arkaboo represents a kind of democratization of design media content. It's not a wild west like social media, but it's not exactly a conventional form of design media either. It's curated, but very open and experimental. I don't know. You all are going to have to check it out, and we'll definitely link to it on the site. But first, let's listen to this interview. Amanda and I are going to talk about design, journalism, Arkaboo, and life on the web. Let's join the interview. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on here, especially as part of this segment where we've been discussing the narrative of design and journalism. And I wanted to bring you on specifically because of your latest project, Arkaboo. But I understand that that Arkaboo was only made possible through a long career as a traditional journalist. And I'd really like my my audience to find out about Arkaboo and to understand what it is. But Perhaps we could start uh, at the beginning. Um, how did your career in design journalism really take shape? I studied history at uh, college and I wanted to be a journalist, but, you know, I wanted a specialism. And I was sitting next to somebody at a dinner party it was years ago and they said, so what are you interested in? I said, well, you know, art, architecture, that kind of thing. And they said, have you ever thought about writing about architecture? And I thought it was such a specialist subject. Don't you have to be an architect to write about architecture? And they went, oh, my God, no. There's so many different ways of approaching the subject, you know, from planning, politics, the environment. And we had to think about it. And I ended up working for building design as a reporter and then became news editor. I left. I went and did other things. And then eventually I went back as editor. I suppose, you know, my interest has always been as a as a journalist rather than as a, I mean, I'm not a critic and I would never describe myself as that. I'm a journalist and I like writing about the stories that come through architecture or telling stories for architects. And I suppose, yeah, that's that's been my kind of background. And I've always approached journalism as very much a thing about storytelling. Well, then we're in the right place because that's what we're trying to examine is this process of storytelling. And, you know, there's a, a formalism to design journalism, whether you're producing, you know, daily content on a blog or weekly content in a newspaper and, and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, we've been interested in, you know, what exists outside of that. And that's why Arkaboo leapt to my mind. And you famously describe Arkaboo as, as starting from your couch. Could you tell us a little bit about what gave rise to, to that idea? Yeah, I edited building design for seven years and it had been towards the end quite a tough time. I mean, because we were in the eye of two storms, the print was threatened by online and recruitment advertising, which was pretty much our main revenue stream, was dead because 
2013, 2012, 2010, <laughs> architects were losing their jobs. I mean, things were getting better, but as you know, after t- 2008, things were very bad and, and property architecture was hit uh, very badly. So the paper wasn't in great shape and it decided or the owners of it wanted to take it online. I mean, I was a you know, print journalist, that's how I'd been trained. And I just thought, well, this is the time to go off and do something else. But when I left, I wanted to get away from the kind of journalism I'd done for the last 20 years. As I've just said, I love news, but it's uh, very resource heavy. And no one had any money. And I, I knew my, <laughs> well, I knew my chances of, of you know, of, of rolling into a, a sort of mainstream paper and saying, hey, I want to report on the built environment. I mean, you know, everyone was struggling. And I think the other thing is that if you've been doing specialist news for a long time, those stories tend to come round. And I was, I mean, I wasn't bored, but I thought, you know, there has to be something else. I thought there was the thing about sitting on my sofa. I mean, I had a bit of time to reflect on this and it was over Christmas and, you know, nobody was around, everybody was on holiday. And I I just kept going back. Um, I think Google had just started their workspace in in London and, you know, offering free space to startups. And I knew that I I wasn't a startup. I mean, I, you know, I can't code. I thought there was space for a new kind of dialogue that, that wouldn't be about architecture. I mean, that sounds weird coming from somebody who's, you know, an an architecture journalist, but I've never found that so interesting as the the sort of culture buzzing around it, whatever that is, uh, the technology, the sort of what consumers want. And I didn't really, at that stage, I just thought, well, if the content's good enough, uh, the audience will come. I can't afford to go and find the stories, but if I can find the people who've got the interesting stories to tell, then I, I think I know the questions to ask. So I don't know if I've been reading this incorrectly all along, but I've always seen Archibu as sort of a democratization of content in the sense that, yes, we, we've witnessed the demise of the full-time architecture critic at major newspapers, um, which is how we got our architecture news for, for many, many decades. And Archibu is sort of saying like, look, there's there's other people out there. They have their perspectives. They have their stories. And that creates an entirely different lens through which to look at our cities and the built environment. Am I reading that correctly? Yes, you are. I mean, the kind of things that I do and the kind of content I'm interested in is not stories about the buildings. It's stories about why certain buildings... I mean, for example, let's take a current... Something I'm very interested in at the moment in the UK, which is, you know, and the same in the States, retail, okay? So retail has always been a good source of work for architects and shops are being built, rebuilt all the time. It's a you know huge part of our economy and culture, but it's kind of dying on its feet. I mean, the bricks and mortar shops. So we have a question mark like you do, you know, what are we going to do with all these empty shops? And that's where I want to have that kind of conversation. How do we bring architecture? How do we bring architects into that? What can they bring to the, to the discussion? You know, this this is being booted up to the politicians to sort out or to the local authorities. Nobody's looking at it in a sort of creative way. We have these empty buildings. We have high streets that are dying. We need homes. 
what is that conversation we should be having? That to me is very much about architecture. It's very much about design, but it's not about saying, oh, look at this amazing building that's been done by this up and coming young practice. Let's publish that and talk about what what materials they used or that, that kind of thing. I'm more interested in the sort of politics around it. And that's why that's why I like Archibu, because there's nothing I dread more than the latest editorial about a well-designed building and how, how sterile their bathrooms are. But getting back to it, what has been the, the reception so far to this sort of thing? I mean, from the content on the site, you know, architects and, and others are coming forward and joining that conversation. You know, I'm trying to do something, I suppose, as a, I mean, I was, I'm a one, I was a one-man band. I mean, I have a few people who work with me, but, you know, for me to kind of, come in and say, well, I'm disrupting the whole, you know, architectural publishing scene, I mean, would be a bit of a big claim. I mean, I'm just adding to it. I think we get all hung up on sort of platforms and what you're using and whether or not that's what people want. I mean, I was, as an editor, one of the things that, you know, you're you're taught is that when you've got good content, you have to push it out on as many platforms as you can. And, you know, now that's video and, and what you're doing. Um, obviously, podcasts are sort of hugely gaining in popularity, print, you know, online, everything. And I think architects have been, are really hard to push from their reliance on print, you know, magazines, they have magazines coming out of their ears, they still love books, you know, you go to lunch with an architect, at the end of the lunch, he'll present you with his three volumes of his collected works. (laughs) Oh, my God, I've got to lug these home on the bus, you know, do you know what I mean? It's just, um, so so they, they are hard. I mean, they're hard work, because, and I think, again, going back to what I, you know, what I'm saying is about this, You've got this group of professionals. They're really, they're highly intelligent and they're highly trained and they're skilled, but they haven't really had to think about disruption in the way that maybe journalists have. It's going to hit them eventually. I I mean, I I kind of used the example of, um, you know, when Uber came to London and we have, as you know, black cabs and then the black cabs launched something called Hail, which was their app. It was useless. Uber came in and just stole stole the whole market and the black cab drivers were up in arms and said, but we have to train for two years to learn the knowledge and, you know, we're, we're kind of everybody knows the iconic black cab. And that's kind of what I say to architects. Someday, I don't know what it will be, but somebody's going to come around and start stealing from you. I'm interested in what the disruption is going to be for architects because Technology has sort of changed the way buildings are designed and constructed, and it's provided all these solutions to problems that have, you know, faced all these really ambitious buildings like the Sydney Opera House. And it's kind of, can technology solve another problem that's facing architects, which is how do you keep them sort of relevant and engaged? Because without sounding too critical, the problem that architects have is that they only talk to each other. And I want that conversation to be much more open. You can come on the show anytime you like and be critical of architects. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this show is largely about, you know, a a sort of provocation, a a questioning of, you know, what architecture is doing, and whether it's relevant or not. So, you know, our focus has always been on social design, because I think it's one of those things that answers the question that you're asking, you know, how do architects stay relevant? Well, they stay relevant by solving problems yeah, rather than kind of solving 
quirky problems that are of interest only to architects and, and their paying clients. I think the question you're asking is um, about, you know, what you've kind of learned since starting Archibu. Is that w- what you were saying earlier? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's difficult to say what I've learned. What you know, and I knew that as an editor, but it's much clearer when you're doing it all yourself because you can see the data um, and you know that the audience will come if the content is good enough. But you have to be very clear about what you offer. And I think, again, that's that's kind of nothing new. It's not a big revelation, but there's so much noise People are sounding off or pushing their agenda all the time on social. And for you to be successful at what you do, you kind of have to ignore all the noise and just plough your furrow, you know, know what it is you're trying to do and just push everything else out of the way, which which is hard because in a previous life, you know, as an editor, I, I've been the opposite. It's more like a sort of magpie picking everything up and seeing, you know, examining it and saying, will that make a story? Could we do something with that? Now it's a question of saying, and actually, I'm not interested in that. Your building looks great, but I don't want to come and see it. I'm interested in this and I'm interested in these problems. And sometimes things come to me and I go, actually, you know what? That does fit into what I'm interested in. I am interested in could architects become developers? That's something I'm doing. I've sort of added on to Archibu recently. This idea is sort of the architect getting hold of a small bit of land and developing and doing something interesting with it, because that's really hard to do in the UK. Architects want to learn new stuff. I mean, that's something I have learned. The younger ones do. The profession, as you know, is very slow to move and unwilling to change. But these architects who kind of came out of college, you know, after 2008, they are not going to be able to make their living from doing architecture. You're listening to Social Design Insights with Eric Kessel. We hope you've been enjoying these thoughts from Amanda Bellew of Arkabu about how to cut out the noise and plow your furrow. I love that phrase. I'm stealing it. But we're going to take a quick break. While we're breaking, check us out on social media, where we'll be chatting about Amanda, Arkabu, and all of its cool content. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Social Design Insights and on Twitter at Social Design IM. When we get back, we're going to be talking about how architects can develop small sites and why great architects often have disappointing websites. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Social Design Insights after the break. Welcome back to Social Design Insights with Eric Kessel. We've been speaking with Amanda Bellew about the design platform Archibu. And coming up, we're going to broaden the conversation a bit and talk about websites and awards and one of my favorite subjects, how architects can communicate the value of what they do. Let's rejoin the conversation already in progress. Let's drill down a little bit on this this learning new things and this real estate because I've been following your recent segments on Archibu about developing small sites. You're offering master classes now. I mean, how did you zero in on that? Was that something that came from your audience or? It did come from my audience in the sense that you know when I 
meet people or they everybody knows how to get hold of me so it's again it's not like being sitting at the head of some big content brand where you know the editor is this distant figure and you you kind of write the to the editor or you email the editor and lay out what you want the magazine to be doing people can just ring me up or email me or say hey did you have you ever thought about doing something about this and I suppose it is again a result of uh, what's been happening to the economy is um, yes, London is still, you know, booming, but it is perhaps a bit easier than it was to get hold of a little bit of land that a developer just can't be bothered to develop, or they're not able to develop, they're too tricky. And at the same time, you know, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, is getting to grips with the fact that in London, at least, there are thousands and thousands of small sites sitting in owned by local authorities that they they don't know what to do with. They they hardly know they have them. Transport for London, you know, operates the underground and the buses, and it's a huge landowner. It, it owns land equivalent to the entire borough of Camden, uh, so it's it's large. And th- yeah, so they have a lot of land, and and they've made various partnerships with developers to develop big sites for housing. But they had all these leftover sites, and so they decided to release them. And I thought, well, this is really interesting because. Big developers find them a hassle. They just can't make them work financially, for one. I mean, that's the main reason. And I thought, you know, architects really do have the skills to do this, but it's very difficult to borrow money and all those things, you know, we know about the risk. I mean, they're just not taught to do development. And I talked to this friend of mine who who has a development background, and he said, well, let's get a conference going. And, you know, we, we kind of got this idea together. So we put on a conference. We had architects who had done development speaking. We had developers speaking. We had local authorities speaking. We didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, we really didn't know if anyone was going to come. We had 200 people and everybody said, oh, this is great. This is exactly what we need. So we just went on from there. And I don't know where it's going to end. I But it seems something that people want. And I think... That's what you have to give them. You, it may not be the thing that I set out to do, but you kind of turn and find the, find the thing that people want and give them that. Well, and I think that's what's you know so revolutionary about Arkabu and this this sort of idea is that you know for a hundred years design journalism worked along a particular vector, right? And it was kind of the critic and and the editor kind of telling everybody else what they wanted. And it, this seems to be an inversion. So, yeah, I mean, as a child of the recession, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, as someone who spends a lot of time thinking about urban problems, this is a way to fix them, you know, get architects involved and bring that creativity to bear. Yeah, I think there has to be a much more conscious effort to explain what an architect does. I mean, they have to explain what they do, you know, whether that's, <laughs> well, whether that's 3D augmented reality capture on completed buildings or, you know, finding ways for people to look inside buildings using the internet and see how they perform. I mean, that's why I started the the Web Awards, because, again, you know, I've been an editor trying to navigate architects' websites. I mean, you know, the things that you had to do back in the kind of early days. One website I remember was these sort of bouncing balls that went across the screen. And in order to find their telephone number, you had to sort of capture one of the balls and it would then open but by the time oh, you good lord yeah and you know so it's like how difficult does this have to be you know and I, <laughs> I think they didn't really get it they they still don't 
a lot of them still don't think why they don't understand why they should have a website, why they should have be on Twitter or Instagram. They kind of think that the world should come to them. But this, of course, has all changed. It's now about the customer. And again, this is something that, you know, I can go on and on and on about. An architect slightly glaze over and think, what is she talking about? But the younger generation, they do understand that because I think the whole conversation has switched and it's now much more about what does the client want and how can I give them a product that is going to satisfy their needs. It's it's a difficult one because, you know, who is an architect designing for? Is it the person who pays or is it they owe something, you know, to society? Is it a wider conversation? And I think those things are not easily kind of sorted out. I don't think I have an answer, but those are the kind of issues or questions, again, that I like talking about. That's amazing. And you found a home here. You're welcome back anytime because <laughs> we, we love to hear about things like that. And, you know, it's something that, you know, I struggle with as a professor and, uh, you know, we struggle with on the show. Um, the market is the market, right? And it has yeah. customers and you're, you're obliged to that. But I think the old days of feeling like, you know, the architect is only obliged to, you know, the rich person that's writing their check it can't withstand. I mean, the world is too out of whack and it needs help. So, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, without making that point again, I think it's can architects go on doing business in the same way as they always have? And the uh, the short answer is no. There is some statistic and I don't want to, but the number of buildings that are designed by architects is actually very, very low. I mean, it's something like, you know, 5%. But why why don't clients want to use architects? Why, why does the public have this view of architecture as something that's not essential when they all use lawyers or doctors? And whose fault is that? Is it our fault or is it the architect's fault? And I think mainly, I you know, I, I think it's the latter. Yeah. So what do architects need to do? And I think... That's the thing that's interesting. But of course, that is not an easy conversation to have with an architect because you're basically saying to them, hey, listen, you're really bad at communicating what you do. Um, you need to go, <laughs> you know, what is the core skill that makes you different? And they will say, well, look, there's my building. That That's the demonstration. <laughs> but you've got to sell it. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much, Amanda. That's um, music to my ears, and um, and you're quite right. And if you ever find yourself in the Bay Area and want to come around and um, <laughs> tell that to my students, you're more than welcome. Okay. Um, I, I want to get back to the the Web Awards because I think those are something that has emerged out of Arkaboo, which is really profound. You know, when you're speaking, I remember, you know, the old days of the uh, architecture flash websites that took two minutes to load, and it was the most aggravating thing. Ever. Tell us a little bit about the Web Awards and, and how they came to be. So one of the things that architects would say to me is, you know, my website, it's not really very good. And what do you think I should do? The first thing I'd say was, is who, who designed your website? I mean, how did, you know, how did it come to be? And they say, oh, a guy, an intern, you know, he did it. He was here for a few weeks. He knocked it up. And I go, right, okay. Well, one thing I really think you should do is, kind of junk all that and you know you wouldn't expect me to design a building so get some professional help you know I mean I know you can knock up a website really cheaply but these are people who've got like this is their main shop window 
you know, and they were getting their intern to do it. So anyway, that's not kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't want to become a consultant telling architects how to do their websites. But the more I looked at them, the more I thought there is a problem, but there are some people who are doing some really good stuff and they tended to be the smaller practices that were more interested in also letting you look behind the kind of the glossy pictures, telling a few more stories about the buildings and the people who use the buildings. And so I just went through, I think I spent about three days going through the top 100 practices internationally and looking at their websites. And I discovered the higher up that chain you went, the worse the website was. And, <laughs> and, and it's almost that it, they weren't using it for anything other than a, a sort of archive and actually a place to recruit from, which is still very useful, but also somewhere that you know they could say to students, well, you can look on our website and you can see that building we did in you know 2002. It's on there somewhere. But there was no organization. And I suppose I started the Web Awards to see if things were improving because I had a sense actually they were. And year one, the entries were pretty, I mean, we got entries, that was amazing. But, you know, the standard wasn't high. Year three, the whole thing had changed. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that's down to Archibu, but what the Web Awards has done is is almost set a kind of standard for what a good website should look like. So all those designers who've designed websites that win awards are now finding they're getting a lot of calls from architects saying, can you come and sort out our website? Now, I'm delighted to do that because I think that's something that's kind of essential. You cannot really exist as a business without a website now. And then it got on to, you know, how they communicate. Were they blogging? No. The answer is no. Were they using social Twitter particularly well? The answer was no. They don't really know how to use social. They'll just put we won planning permission and then kind of no link and a picture. It was sort of very weird for somebody who'd come from a background where, even though I didn't grow up with all this stuff, you know immediately that social media is about having a conversation. It's not just pushing out and shouting about how good you are. It's actually engaging with people. It's another thing architects don't do, but they're getting better at it. That is encouraging. <laughs> it's always been remarkable to me that people who are trained in design and presentation read that so narrowly uh, sometimes. And, you know, an architect that's capable of making this you know, beautiful, beautiful presentation board will just half-ass it when it comes to a website. It's just, yeah, it's a contradiction. But I'm really glad you're doing what you're doing. Websites are improving. And if you have anything to do with that, you, you have my thanks. Last year, or 2018, we uh the, the the winner the big winner last year was was foster and partners uh they had completely redesigned their website it had been one of those websites i mean it looked obviously it looked good i mean they they're very uh, professional everything they do but you know it didn't sort of sit easily with their architecture it just wasn't the quality you'd expect from from that practice but it was an archive you could with a great deal of patience find every building they'd ever designed but it was a it was very difficult to use i mean the user experience was was lousy anyway they have obviously spent a long time thinking about it and put a lot of resource behind it and it's I mean it's amazing it's really really good and they won the award now the only reason I'm mentioning that is because 
they were one of the practices in that long list of 100 that kind of got, you know, a very low score. But, they, <laughs> <laughs> but they, they've, they've changed. And it's, you know, whether or not they need it for their business, they're so famous. But it's not about that, is it? It's about the whole transparency of what architecture is. And it's not just architects who visit architects' websites. Everybody's interested in 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 buildings and everybody should be able to go onto that site and find their way around without going down a blind alley. Amanda, you are a treasure. It has been such a joy to have you on the show and and call it like it is because, you know, there are a lot of internal contradictions in architecture and yeah, we need people like you to point them out. <laughs> so thank you so much for, for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Social Design Insights with Eric Kessel. I'd like to thank my guest of the week, Amanda Bellew of Arkaboo, for telling it like it is and giving us an astute insight into how designers tell stories and how they don't. Definitely check out Arkaboo. It's become one of my favorite sites, and you'll definitely see why. And don't forget to check in on Arkaboo's web awards to see which of your favorite designers have the best web work. Thank you for listening to this segment on the narrative of design and activism. It's one that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I think that we began with a question about how the lens of journalism affects the way that we see social design and the issues which it attempts to unravel. As we struggle to understand and solve the great problems of the world, we should always be mindful that there are choices being made every day about the stories we see and the stories we don't see. There are choices being made in how those stories are told, and sometimes those stories are coming from designers themselves and sometimes from others. We need to be slow, critical, set our expectations high about the kind of journalism we wish to see. To learn more about Amanda, Arkaboo, and all of our past guests, please visit our website at currystonefoundation.org. If you have any feedback on the show, ideas for guests, or just want to chat, you can write to me at eric at socialdesigninsights.com. Social Design Insights is produced by Baruch Seichter, and at the break, we're listening to 40 Years by Joe Jackson from his album Big World, which makes me feel surprisingly young. Social Design Insights is an initiative of the Curry Stone Foundation. For the latest updates on social design news and on all of our cool guests, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Social Design Insights, and on Twitter at Social Design IN. Mm-hmm.